Catherine Burblesing is a radical in the world of education. She's a radical not because she wants to bring about new ways of bringing up the next generation of students, but because she wants to do the opposite. Burblesing has been dubbed Britain's strictest headmistress for running the Michaela School. It's an inner city school that teaches traditional values using a much more traditional curriculum than you'd find in most schools today. Her students come from lower-income areas of London, and most of them are visible minorities. Yet her school is a roaring success, and this week she is the focus of Full Comment. Hello, and welcome to the Full Comment podcast. I'm Brian Lilly, your host, and this week an in-depth discussion with Catherine Burblesing, the daughter of a Guyanese academic, a Jamaican nurse with Canadian roots, who is issuing a direct and successful challenge to what is now considered a normal education in Britain, as well as in Canada, the United States, and elsewhere. She discusses the need to instill discipline, why teachers and not students should drive the learning, and why parents must challenge the progressive agenda taken over schools if they want a good education for their children. Catherine joins us from the Michaela School in London. Catherine, thanks for the time. Well, thank you for having me. Explain to me before we get into this discussion of how to push back on this agenda and why you think it's so important. Uh, tell me about Michaela. What, explain the school to me because y- your school system is is quite different than what we have in Canada. Yeah, well, it's a it's a high school, and our high schools start at grade seven. So the kids arrive um, from elementary at grade seven, and then they stay with us right until they go off to university. Um, we have uh, just over 700 kids. Uh, we opened in 2014. It was a school that we that I set up with a bunch of people. Uh, it's called a free school here in the UK, but it's based around the same idea that charter schools follow in the US. Although you have some, I know in Alberta you yes. have um, some charter schools, so it's not totally foreign to Canadians. And um, it, it means a group of people set the school up. We follow the normal admissions code. Uh, unlike the charter schools in the U.S., we follow the normal admissions code that everyone else follows here. And we're just a normal school in that sense once it's running. We ha- have a very traditional school. So I think in 1953, um, in, in Canada and in the U.K., our school would have been considered much more normal. Nowadays, it's considered quite radical. Uh, so we have strict discipline. Uh, our corridors are silent because, well, we're in the inner city, therefore we have quite a challenging intake. Um, and when I say quite challenging, you know, the kind of films that you come up, come, come out of Hollywood about kids, you know, being surrounded by gangs and uh, people carrying knives, you know, kids who get killed on the streets and that kind of thing. We are in inner London. And um, frankly, if you just allow the behavior to go, uh, well, to, to do whatever they want, you end up with kids being beaten up every single uh, transition in the corridors. Um, you you end up with their heads being smashed against the walls. I mean, it, it can be quite horrible, you know. So that's why we have silent corridors and they walk in single file very quickly to their lessons. Um, we have the desks in rows in an old-fashioned way. And the teachers teach in a much more traditional fashion. Uh as, as opposed to desks being in groups, for instance, and the children would be teaching themselves, and that would be what would be called child-centered learning instead of teacher-led learning, which is what we do. And then I'd say our values are very traditional. Uh, we believe in personal responsibility, a sense of duty towards others, uh, an idea of self-sacrifice. Um, you're part of a team. When you get a detention, you don't get a detention just for you. You're letting the whole team down. Um, so... 
we're trying very much to encourage our children in an ordered and structured environment with ordered and structured learning uh, to be ambitious and determined and to get to the best universities and to go off and do something um, amazing with their lives. Uh, now, that doesn't mean, you know, I recognize that uh, some of our kids might become dentists, but some of them might become uh, revolutionary radicals, you know. Uh, I think it's a mistake that we often make in thinking that wanting children to be creative or wanting them to be to, to think outside the box, we imagine that that means just letting them go free to do whatever they want. When actually, uh, radicalism and um, th- out, out of the box thinking comes from uh, a, a more traditional. Uh, knowledge base. It, you, you cannot think independently about something unless you know lots about it. And I think it's our role as teachers to teach children, really, and to teach them lots. And sadly, I'd say in 2023, there isn't much teaching that goes on in schools. I'd say that's across the Western world. Well, that interesting part, but you've got to know a lot about something to engage in critical thinking. Um, yeah. I appreciate that because quite often what you hear is people don't actually know an awful lot about the subject, but they think if they ask questions that they, they sound smart by questioning things, but they're questioning them and, and their questions show they don't quite understand what it is they're, they're exactly. pushing. Exactly. And um, the thing is school is about giving children a, a, a basic knowledge about things. So I expect our children to leave, with a basic knowledge of math and English and history and geography and science. And then, of course, they'll go off and specialize later. And, of course, at university, uh, they might do a whole variety of things that you wouldn't necessarily specialize in at secondary school. But in order for them to learn anything in the first place, they need to be behaving themselves. They need to be interested. They need to be putting their hands up and being um, excited about learning. And, again, I think progressives make the mistake of thinking that the way you get children excited about learning is by just peppering them with a whole load of stuff. No, it needs to be ordered. You need to think very carefully about cognitive science, how the brain learns, how children are motivated. And of course, if you actually spend time becoming knowledgeable about this stuff and reading books on this stuff, you realize the best way is to do so in an ordered environment. So um, that's especially the case for children who are coming from more chaotic backgrounds, more disadvantaged backgrounds. Uh, because they depend entirely on their school to be able to give them the knowledge and the skills that they need to uh, go out there and make something of their lives. You see, the thing is, is that if you look at a school that has more middle class kids, uh, the parents will often make up for the deficits of the school. So what I mean by that is uh, the school might not be that great, but the parents take them to museums and watch documentaries with them and read books with them. And because the parents are doing such a good job, it looks like the school is doing a good job when in fact it's not the school, it's the parents that are making up for the problems with the school. And um, not all families can do that. In fact, for our families, very, very few of the families we have here would ever be able to do that. The children here depend entirely on us to give them the knowledge and the skills that they need to be able to keep doors open to them in terms of choices for their lives. And what people don't get is you need to restrict the freedom of children when they're younger. You don't say do whatever you want, because if you say that, well, they'll just sit on video games all day. They'll just go on social media. Really? Uh, (laughs) So you need to, exactly. You need to restrict their freedom now 
and you have them learning Shakespeare and Dickens and so on, which they wouldn't normally, they wouldn't pick up Macbeth and think, oh, I'll just have a look at Macbeth on my own here. Obviously, they're not going to do that. So we restrict their freedom now so that later they can be truly free. The, the progressives get it the other way around. They, they decide that when they're children, that's when you're going to have loads of freedom. Do whatever you like. And then later, we're going to remove your freedom of speech. We're going to remove various freedoms that you think you ought to have. It, it, it's the other way around. Kids shouldn't have that much freedom. Adults should have a lot more freedom. And if we've done our job as adults with the kids and properly um, molded them and given them the, an understanding of the difference between right and wrong, then you have a bunch of adults who are truly free to understand what is happening around them in the world uh, because they have not just knowledge, they also have values. And, you know, they have more traditional values where, and those traditional values will take you through life, really. Um, however clever you are, however talented you are. And, and that's the other thing to remember is that I think people often just think, often the people who are writing in the media and um, who are just in clever positions, politicians and that kind of thing, they think to themselves wrongly that everyone's just as clever as they are. And that's not true. There's a whole variety of children out there. And there are some children who are going to go to Oxford and Cambridge. And there are other children who are really going to struggle, you know, and they're going to struggle to get some base, a basic knowledge of math and English, but they deserve to know that stuff. And if we're not teaching them properly, those kids simply won't learn it. And I know in, in Britain, we have, you know, around about 20% of children are leaving school functionally illiterate and functionally enumerate. In Canada, you know, for those poorer children, you will find a, a similar situation. Um, so I'm talking about the children where the families cannot make up for the deficits of the school. Uh, and I think sometimes we can be somewhat dishonest with ourselves, uh, especially those of us who are more middle class, because then we say, oh, isn't it wonderful? The school system's just wonderful. Um, meanwhile, we are hiring tutors in the background to make sure that our children are one step ahead. We are doing the right things by our kids. I'm not criticizing people for hiring tutors. Well done you. You care about your kids. But... Uh, we do need to give thought to those children who do not have access both to uh, the financial means to be able to do that and also the, the, the thinking around that. Their parents don't realize that there are even options. You know, they just, they give their kids to school and imagine that the school is going to do right by them. And I would say too often in Britain, but I'd say, you know, very often in Canada, I'd say Canada is actually further down this road than we are in terms of being far too progressive. Um, I'd say that the schools are letting the kids down. We have had um, never-ending debates, it seems, on the basics of education here in Canada. And I'll speak primarily from Ontario because that's where I live. That's the school system that um, I went through, my kids went through. And it's the one I cover as a journalist. But, you know, everything from should there be any rote learning in math well, that was considered controversial, and we had to get rid of that. And they brought in a whole new math system um, more than a decade ago that failed miserably on any standardized tests, although teachers in this province don't like standardized tests. Um, and, and then recently, uh, the education minister had to step in and tell them to remove from the curriculum all these statements that math is actually just a tool of white supremacy, and that's the, that's how deep the identity politics have gotten. That inside the math curriculum, uh, it, mm. it math is a tool of white supremacy, and it was mm. more controversial 
in our media that the minister stepped in to take that out than it was that it had ever been in there. Yeah, and, and, and that's my worry about Canada. I'm in Canada twice a year because my parents live in Toronto. So does my sister. And um, I listen to the radio when I'm there and I find it very difficult to listen to, to be honest, because it is so woke and so out there. Uh, I find myself just shouting at the radio. <laughs> and, um, it is So what you just said is crazy. I mean, math, is uh, I don't understand how it can be uh, uh, how it can be filled with white supremacy. It's just insane. That's just an insane idea. Black children need to learn that two plus two is four, just as well as white kids do. And if you don't teach them that, then you are going to put them in a position where they will never be able to have successful lives. And frankly, I feel that that kind of talk is 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 pushed by a whole bunch of progressive people who feel very guilty about the fact that they themselves feel privileged. So there are some people, some of them are just white privileged people who feel guilty. Some of them are black privileged people who um, are benefiting from pushing that kind of agenda because it gives them, you know, more social, uh, you know, um, uh, kudos. You know, it just it gives them something to talk about at dinner parties and everybody looks to them like they're some kind of expert. You know, I'd like them to come and join me in the inner city. What, what I'd always like to say to anyone who has opinions on these things is how long have you been working with children and what have you done for them? Because I can give you 25 years of always having worked in the inner city and having transformed the lives of black and brown children in the inner city. So my position is always, <laughs> look, you, you can criticize me, but look at what I've done for these kids. What have you done? And if that person is able to show me how they've brought out hundreds upon hundreds of children of these, the very children they say they're trying to help, and that those children are now experts at math and English and geography and history and so on, and that they get great grades and they go off to the top universities. If they can do that, then listen to them. But if they can't do that, then you need to question their motives in them speaking like this. Because to anybody who has any common sense, it is obvious that black children or white children are, they're all the same. They're kids. That's the whole point. If you're not a racist, then you see all children as being the same. And to all of those children, two plus two is four. And they should be taught this. It's wrong for them not to be taught it. The idea that there shouldn't be any rote learning in maths is crazy. You cannot learn your times tables if you're not rote learning them, right? And I'm not saying that doesn't mean that you can't put two Ps and two Ps and do, you know, and, and show it in other ways. Do all of that, fine. But in the end, <laughs> you are going to have to rote learn them. And the thing is, once you've rote learned those type timetables, it gives you access to huge amounts of maths out there, right? If you never learn your rote, your times tables like that, and rote learning means they're then at your fingertips. You can just, you can, you, you know, two times two is four, two times three is six, and so on. You're just able to go boom, boom, boom quickly. And the fact that that then becomes on automatic means that you can then do more. It's like when you are driving a car. So, uh, when you first learn to drive a car, you're holding, uh, you know, at, 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 at 10 two and 10 past and you're, you're on the steering wheel and you're, you're looking out the rear view mirror and, and, and you're really frightened. And then after a while, you, you find that you can do it so easily that you can have a conversation at the same time. And that is because the skill of drive, the various skills, the things that you are doing in that moment have become automatic to you. When you wrote, learn your times tables, they become automatic to you. And then that means that your working memory is able to hold on to more maths and you're able to push your mathematical thinking further. 
So in order to be creative with your maths and out of the box in your thinking, unless you have a knowledge base there, coat, think of it as coat hooks in your head, where you can just hook on more knowledge each time you're being taught. And every year you go through, you hook on more, you hook on more. That's how you become creative in the end. If you think about me, I'm very creative with education, right? I'm doing things that other people don't dare do. I'm a real radical, right? That's why you're interviewing me. Um, now, why am I so creative and out of the box, uh, out of box thinker with education? Because I know education inside out. I've been doing it for 25 years. If you asked me to be really creative with cars, right, I wouldn't know what to do. I don't know anything about cars. So you'd give me a car, you know, you can leave that to Elon Musk. He knows about cars. I don't know anything about cars. And if you asked me to be about creative about, frankly, anything else, I wouldn't be able to do it. But I can do it about edu with education because I know it inside out. You have to have loads of knowledge about something before you can twist it and turn it and do fascinating things with it. And frankly, before you can have a real opinion about it that matters. And that's why I say to you, or to your listeners, that um, when somebody starts talking to them about what black children need, you need to ask them, how much work have you done with black children? How much success have you had with them? How long have you been working in that school down the road or as a social worker or something? What have you done? And most of the time, you'll find that they're just talking heads and that actually what they're interested in is their own careers and, um, and the advancement of those careers, as opposed to dedicating an entire life to working with these children and helping them succeed. You talked about the, the discipline that you bring to the school, including silent hallways. I, I remember um, the elementary school that my children went to early on, there were discipline, discipline problems and the school wasn't functioning right. And then there was a change in the principal or headmistress, as you would call it. And the new principal brought in simple rules. It wasn't as strict as, as what you're describing. They didn't have to have silent hallways. But the students were told that they were expected to speak to teachers in a certain way. That as soon as you walked through the door, your ball cap came off. There were no hats allowed in the school. Even, even the UPS and FedEx drivers showing up with deliveries were told at the front door they had to take their hats off. No gum. Yes. And these small changes brought about dramatic yes. improvement in the school. Exactly. Exactly. So that's broken windows. So Giuliani did the same thing in New York and trying to, in turning it around. And he turned it around uh, by removing the graffiti off the subway cars um, and by making sure that everyone who got on the subway paid their fare. And it's the same idea. Why would it be the case that you, you take graffiti off the subway cars and suddenly the murder rate goes down in New York? Why is it that you get kids to take off their baseball caps and their and not true gum, and suddenly they're getting really great grades. How are the two connected? It's because of broken windows, which I'll explain. You, uh, you, know, you have a, bro a house in, a, in an abandoned area, uh, and if all the windows stay intact, um, they will remain intact, and they'll never get broken. All you need to do is break one window, and within a couple of days, all of the windows will be broken. And that's because details matter. And if you look after the small details, the bigger things will take care of themselves. So I think people imagine that I'm the strictest headmistress in Britain and all this. They imagine that I'm walking through the corridors with whips and chains and I get some kind of weird, you know, I have a weird fantasy about, you know, putting kids in detention or something. When in, the actual fact is most of the time I'm not even out of my office. I'm meeting with staff in my office and things. Um, but the fact is that people imagine it has to be this horrible place. 
to all of our guests, and we get 800 visitors a year here, they come and they say, oh my goodness, the children are so happy. They're so engaged. They're learning so much. This is amazing. How do you do it? Well, we look after the small things, just like you said. We have a uniform. Their shirts have to be tucked in. The ties need to be at the top. They need to be on time to school. They get homework every day. We have high expectations of them. And of course, they get detentions when they're naughty. And, um, and they're t- detentions every day. And that happens uh, you know, regularly and it's not a big deal. And the thing is, the kids don't mind. And they don't mind because they know they're learning a lot. And they feel really clever in comparison to their friends who are at other schools. And isn't that a good thing? I mean, isn't it a good thing that kids coming from poor families then know a lot and are then going to succeed? Wouldn't we want that for all the kids? As opposed to saying that math is white supremacy. I mean, it is, you know, that, that, and it's not just math. I mean, that, you know, you use that as an example because it's more extreme. But the fact is, this has been happening in subjects like history and geography and English for, for decades. You know, it's only more recently that it's moved into the area of science and math. Um, and it prevents... The saddest thing is that it ruins the lives of the very children these people say they want to help. And I've been part of this my whole life. And when people talk, they say, oh, my goodness, you're so passionate. Why do you get so angry about these things? I get angry about it because I spent 25 years working with these kids, seeing what they're up against. And the thing is, everybody says what they're up against is white supremacist racists. Well, actually, the biggest thing they're up against are the progressives. Those are the people that are ruining their lives, right? And the progressives think they're doing them good. And what I would say to the progressive is, look, are you actually helping these people? Look at the outcomes from w- of what you're doing. Or are you making yourself feel better? Is what you're doing making yourself feel like you're a good person? And is that why you're doing it? Because I can tell you, all of my teachers, they don't want to give detentions. Nobody likes giving detentions. I have to teach my teachers that... In fact, you are helping the kids by giving them detentions. You are making them better and ensuring that they will have successful lives by holding your standards high and by holding the line for them. And once teachers come to see that, they realize that the best way of being compassionate is by holding the kids to account. But if you're on the outside and you're a politician or you're in the media or you write books or whatever, then you don't have any idea because you've never met my kids. You've never worked on the street. You have no idea what it is to be on the ground, you know? And so you keep doing what you're doing and it makes you feel better about yourself. And those of us who are on the ground, we're fighting against all the stuff, all the the hardship that you cause us. And you actually make our lives much more difficult in trying to help these kids have successful lives. You, you said the claim of math being white supremacy was the most extreme, but that's gone through everything, uh, all the subjects. And I watched one of your speeches recently to the National uh, Conservatism Conference in the UK, and you talked about uh, reading the poem If by Rudyard Kipling. Beautiful, beautiful mm-hmm. poem. Yes. I think it would be banned in most schools, along with all of his other works. Yeah, well, I do remember the Sunday Times once journalists came to the school and he heard them, um, well, I think I say this, in the, in the, and he heard them um, talking about, uh, you know, uh, reciting it here. And he said to me, Catherine, are you trying to be deliberately controversial? <laughs> and I just thought, well, no, Kipling is British and um, Kipling is uh, a great author and um, we want to celebrate him. And uh, this particular poem speaks to um, what, um, you know, our values you know, we often refer to it. So if the kids are going off for a football match or something, we always say um, triumph and disaster, 
you know, you, you got to keep your, you know, you got to keep your head. It doesn't matter if you win or if you lose, it's okay. You, you, you just got to be, you got to be calm about it. Don't go crazy if you win and don't be too upset if you lose. Uh, we refer to that all the time uh, because, um, because it just has so many different pieces of wisdom in it. And we want our children to carry those. So, I mean, I haven't spoken that much about our values. I always call them small C conservative. I'm not a big C conservative. Um, I'm not a member of any political party. And I would argue that many big C conservatives are not small C conservative. Um, and Fair I would enough. also argue that, <laughs> yeah, indeed. And I would argue that old school lefties are also small C conservative. It's just that many of them are now dying out because they're quite old these days. Um, and so... But it, it used to be the case that I'd say many people on the left were definitely small C conservatives. And what is that? It's, it's, it's a more social conservatism. So, you know, belief in, um, in, in, in a sense of personal responsibility and, uh, you know, uh, you're, you're, you're always thinking, how am I responsible? What can I do better? As opposed to always just blaming somebody else, you know, uh, we don't believe in uh, victimhood. You know, we don't want our children to say, well, I can't make it because I'm black. Well, I can't make it because I'm poor. You know, the, the establishment is going to be against me. So what's the point of getting my grades? Well, there's a lot of point, actually, because you want to be responsible for yourself. And there may be obstacles out there. I'm not saying that there aren't obstacles, but concentrating on those and, and, and encouraging children who are coming from more disadvantaged backgrounds to concentrate on what the obstacles are in front of them instead of thinking how do I gain the knowledge and the skills that I need in order to make a success in my life whatever the obstacles may be in front of me that that is it's just the wrong way of going about things so as I say our kids will have obstacles in front of them I'm under no illusion of that but they're obviously much stronger much more likely to succeed in their lives if we've taught them properly and given them the kinds of values that mean that they will be resilient that they will have a sense of discipline, that they will uh, understand the idea of hard work. Um, we, our our um, motto was hard, uh, work hard, be kind. Uh, and your listeners may know, know that, notice if they know about education that we sort of half stole that from, um, from KIPP, uh, the charter school in America. So KIPP, their uh, motto used to be work hard, be nice. Um, the two guys who set it up in the early 90s actually had a book called work their book about kip and how they set it up was called work hard be nice and that was what they wanted for all their kids and the idea was if you can get kids to do at least those two things to work hard and to be nice people you've succeeded now we needed it to be a little different so we call our motto work hard be done be kind. and um and then most recently uh since uh george floyd's death um they came under a lot of pressure uh, in the u.s to change their motto because it was said that uh, white teachers teaching black children to be nice was racist because uh, they were being taught to be subservient. Um, now, being kind or being nice is lending a pen to your friend, opening up the door, being friendly to them when they're down, uh, making sure they don't get bullied, that kind of thing. The idea that this is somehow teaching children to be subservient to white people is is just mad, uh, you know. And 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 so Kip had to abandon this motto. They no longer have the motto of work hard, uh, be nice, and you can see it on their website. They explain it, and I find it really sad that a successful charter school, uh, you know, there's hundreds of them across America, should uh, have been prevented from uh, teaching um, black children 
the two most important things, which is to work hard and be nice. So the idea that we should only teach white children to be nice, but we can't teach black children to be nice. Don't we understand how racist this is? Don't we understand that, you know, seeing this difference between children is part of the problem mm-hmm. when it comes to racism? That black children, sh- of course, they should be taught how to be nice to their f- friends and to their and to strangers. You know, we teach our children to stand up when they're in the subway and give up their on the, or on the bus, give up their seats for other people. Um, we teach them to be kind to people. I, you know, like in our dining hall. So it, it, all my life working in the inner city, uh, and I say it's, it's always in challenging back, uh, uh, schools. Uh, when children would drop a plate in the dining hall. What the other children would do, and as I say, this is most of my career, what would happen is that all the other children would go, oh, that's what they do. Uh, basically humiliating the kid who's just dropped his plate and everybody's laughing and carrying on. At our school, if a child drops his plate of food, five or six children will run to help him pick it up, pick up the food. Even I've seen children even putting their hands into wet lasagna on the ground, <laughs> trying to pick it up just to help their, you know, one of their classmates. And um, I just, I don't see why that's not a nice thing. Why wouldn't we want that for all children? But apparently that is to uh, teach subservience and is therefore white supremacy. Want to get into how to fight back against this because you, you speak extensively on that, but we have to take a quick break. But when we come back, that's where I want to go is how can we fight back? Because we can't easily set up our charter school like you have, not in Ontario anyway, in Alberta, but in much of the country, it can't be done. But that doesn't mean you can't fight back. So we'll get to that when we come back. Uh, Catherine, in, in your speech to the... um Uh, convention a few weeks ago or a few months ago now, you told the story of an American father who was so upset at what his his daughter was being taught in a prestigious private school. A lot of people think, well, I just put my kids in private school um, and that'll solve the problem. But he was in the most prestigious school that he could get his daughter into in New York. And this political agenda of identity politics first learning second was even there and and he tried to get other parents involved and 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 he just couldn't uh they they weren't interested that was my experience in pushing back against this sort of thing years ago trying to get other parents to realize that there was a problem and then once you told them oh here's what they're doing they say oh well i don't like that well we should do something about it oh really And, and most just wouldn't care um I'm at the point where if I had young children today, I wouldn't put them in the public school system in, in this country. But you say that's the wrong way to go about it, that parents should get engaged. Why? Why is it so important? Well, actually, I, I, I don't say you shouldn't uh, homeschool. Um, I, that is getting involved. <laughs> so when you homeschool, you are making an active decision to say the school system is not right. There's something wrong with it. And if everybody homeschooled, then actually you'd see some impact. Something would happen. Something would change. So I strongly encourage people to homeschool, actually. Um, one, I think it's great for your kids. I think it's great for the families. Now, families will say they can't afford it. And people who do homeschool will say, yes, well, you do have to take a financial hit. But in many ways, in so many ways, it's worth it. Um, now, you could do even more than that than just homeschool. You can write letters to your you know, a, a local uh 
you know, po- po- political representative. Um, you can write articles in the newspaper about how outrageous X, Y, and Z is and so on. Uh, you can also speak differently about things. So what I mean by that is when you run into your friends at dinner parties and things and certain things are said in conversation and you know that they're wrong, speak up, say something. You know, we need to make it okay to have the opinions that I suspect most of your listeners have. Um, and the only way we can make it okay is if all of us say what we think. There are too many of us who think what what I think and they don't say so because they're worried about losing their jobs. They're worried about losing their friends. Um, and so they just keep quiet and they just do what they do, whatever they have to do to have a quiet life. Now, the other thing is if your child is in school and let's say financially, you need to do that. So I'm not saying everybody should go homeschool their kid. I get it. Not everybody wants to do that. Um, but you do need to complain to the school. You do need to complain loudly about what's going on. And the reason I would just say, the underlying reason why people don't complain and why they don't care. You found this, Brian. I mean, uh, this guy, Andrew Gutman, who he said, you know, he went across America. He tried to find other schools. The people at the, his, his kid's school in uh, New York, the, the parents there, they just didn't care. And um, he couldn't believe it. What I've come to realize over the many years that I've been doing this is that people care what university their child is going to. And they care what job their child is going to get. But if they're going to get that by sending their kid to X school, and if the X school is teaching them stuff about race and gender and all kinds of things that they don't agree with, uh, or not even teaching them any history and teaching them that math is white supremacy and so on, they don't really care as long as they can get to the best universities and get a good job. Because that's what they think school is. It's a kind of stepping stone to get getting to a good university and getting a good job. And I find that a lot of people don't really care if the kid doesn't know much math and doesn't know much history. Uh, the, the value that used to be placed on knowledge has uh, disappeared. And um, there's something quite sad about that, that as um, a country, you know, Canada or, or Britain, um, we, we don't have any sense of pride in knowing about our own country, knowing about the world, wanting our children to be able to get excited about forests and about the seas and about, you know, the animals. And I, I'm just thinking science, but they could get excited about Shakespeare or they, you know, and Dickens and so on, wanting to go and see an opera, um, wanting to play an instrument and so on. I mean, I could go on and on about the different things that make life interesting. Now, uh, I find it odd that we, as, 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 you know, as people, as adults, aren't wanting our children to know lots and to really engage with the world with that knowledge and parents i would ask you all to be more interested in that don't just be interested in the superficial i find that parents often as well they don't just care about what university they go to and what job they get to they might care about getting them into a top prestigious school but that's because they get to go to dinner parties and say my child goes to this school Mm -hmm. you know school in um uh, Upper Canada College in yes. Toronto, for instance, they get to be able to say, "Mom, oh, my boy, he's at UCC, you know, and it's always oh, at UCC. He must be very smart. And you say, well, yeah, you know, he's a chip off the old block. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's also brilliant. And meanwhile, your boy is being taught a whole load of craziness at school, but you don't care because you get to go to dinner parties and say, are oh, your kids at UCC? And, you know, anytime I've tried to, people complain to me in the US, um, in Canada, in, in, in England, 
And my advice is always to people, well, take your child out of the school if you don't like it. They never do. They never, ever take their child out of the school. And that is because the name of the school is more important to them than their child's education. But, but, okay? but that's, uh, and I get that for the, the people at the top, but that doesn't yeah. help lower, <clears throat> lower, even middle class uh, families that, that don't have those opportunities. And, and you're teaching uh, kids who come from families that mm. would never be able to do that, would never be able no. to uh, have those those options. So do you, you know, in that case, the school system, if just left to go the direction that uh, the folks writing the Ontario curriculum would have it go, uh, well, it would rot. And, and we would just write off a whole section of the population in terms of education. That's right. It's not would rot. It is rotting right now. Um, and those of us like me, because I'm not the only one, obviously, uh, who are fighting it, we're fighting that rot and we're in the middle of it. Um, and what is unfortunate is that, uh, the people who are fighting us, they're not in the school system. They don't know anything. They just, they, they, they're ruining the lives of children who they say they care about. And, um, I mean, look, all any of us can do, we're only on here for a short period of time on earth. You know, you want to be able to get to 85 and look back at your life and say, I did something, you know, I contributed and tried to make the world into a better place. Um, and so my contribution is in the world of education. That's what I'm trying to do. And, you know, I've contributed in the sense that I've established Michaela. Uh, thousands of teachers have been through here. Some from Canada come, they come over on planes to come and see us and your listeners will be welcome to come as well. Not just teachers, all kinds of people come and, uh, and it helps to change, uh, the minds of teachers about what's possible. What teachers always say when they see our lessons is, my goodness, I can't believe how much the kids know and how excited they are about learning and how resilient they are and how ambitious and determined they are. You know, it can be done. It's just that you need a more traditional approach. And the more progressive approach, it might make us feel better about each other and make us feel like we're compassionate people, but we're not actually helping anybody. So that's that's the key thing that we all need to kind of understand. And once we get that, then um, we can change lives. And, uh, you, you see this, you know, like we, we, um, we play, a, a a film for the kids or a reward event called coach Carter and it has Samuel L. L. Yep. Jackson in it he plays, um, a basketball coach with these kids in the inner city. And, you know, if you want to hear what my, like my understanding of things, like watch coach Carter, cause he and I, Samuel Jackson's character in that and I are exactly the same, you know, he, 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 he takes these boys and he makes them work, you know? And when all they want to do is play basketball, he says, no, you're going to get the grades and you're going to work for it. And if you're not going to work for it, and his job is on the line and everybody's fighting him. The parents are fighting him. The school board is fighting him. And the reason why everybody's fighting him is because there's nothing in it for them. They don't actually care about those kids. They just care about what it looks like for them. That's all they care about. He actually cares about those boys and wants them to succeed. And there are people like him all over the world trying to do that. Uh, and we're all very similar, you know, and our enemies are very similar. You know, I have given talks in New Zealand and Australia and um, in, in the US and, uh, and all over Britain at various different schools and so on. Everywhere I go, it's the same problem. 
Okay. <laughs> Everywhere I go, it's the, the same issues and the same madness that we're all fighting, right? And it doesn't matter where you are. Like I went to Spain last year. It was the same issues there. It's the same everywhere. It doesn't matter what language. I was in uh, Sweden uh, recently. Same issues, right? Um, I tell you, it, it doesn't matter where you are. We're all fighting the same craziness that is, is against common sense. And I, how do you fight back? Well, I, I get stronger. Like I have a number of Twitter followers, for instance, and they come out and fight for me sometimes. And that helps me. So there are those of us who are kind of louder, like me and, and the Coach Carter types, and we are out there fighting the battle. And if there are a number of just normal, ordinary people out there saying the same things at their dinner parties and at their swim clubs and so on, and if they're on social media saying this stuff and, and we're growing and growing in number, rather than us all being cowed into being quiet because we're worried about being seen to be a bad person, if we all stand up for what's right and speak out, um, we might be able to turn things around because things are only going in one direction at the moment. And five years ago, life now is unrecognizable. If somebody who had died five years ago came back to life now, this is just five years I'm talking, they would be in shock at what 2023 looks like in comparison to 2018. When I think about when we set up the school in 2014, the Western world was very different in 2014 to the way it is now. So um, we, we have to fight. We have to, because otherwise the world that we know and have known, it's going to disappear. And the kids who are coming through the school system, remember, children are the future, right? They are the ones that are going to be carrying this later. We will be dead. And if we care about our countries, we've got to fight for it. Um, and that just means speaking up. That means saying something about your child's education, saying something to the teachers, saying something to your friends. And not keeping your mouth shut when everybody says something that you know is wrong. Last year, we had a teacher in Oakville. And this made international headlines. You may have heard about it. Uh, I did. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, that teacher who uh, made all kinds of claims about why he had to dress with giant prosthetic breasts and mm -hmm. a blonde wig is now teaching in Hamilton, Ontario. Um, yeah. Dressed as a man. Completely punked the school system. And people yes. did speak up, though. But the school system was too afraid, the, the, the board administrators and the trustees, to actually do anything. That's true. But the thing is, what I would say is that one guy with silly breasts, I mean, yes, it's outrageous and ridiculous, and I agree with your position on that. But he's just one mm -hmm. guy. The school system is on fire. So the fact that we're all squabbling over some stupid guy um, is like rearranging the chairs on the Titanic while the whole boat is going down. Right. So parents notice that one guy and it's absolutely right to be critical of him. I'm not saying that's not right. And I totally agree with the people who are critical of him. But I'm trying to say that this the stuff that I'm talking about, child centered learning, adults no longer being the authority in the classroom or the authority at home, uh, feeling bad about punishing your children. Uh, there should be punishments and there should be praise. Children react to both of them well. And that's how you raise a child, both in the school and in the home. Um, all of these ideas that used to be normal in 1953, in 2023, are totally abnormal. I tweeted the other day about doing an hour's worth of homework every night. The world went crazy. It's all, it, I, I just saw this morning, three million views for this tweet. I mean, I'm like, well, because it was so outrageous. People are so outraged, and this is both on the left and the right, politically, mm -hmm. who are outraged at the idea of their child doing an hour's worth of homework every evening. 
Now, they don't understand. There's loads of right-wingers there, because uh, they're not progressive, who are saying this. And what they don't get is their position on not doing any homework is why that guy is in that, that school with his breasts. That, that, they don't get the connection. They don't get that when the adults are no longer an authority, when we're not trying to get the most out of kids and pushing them and expecting them to do homework and expecting them to drill things and to rote learn some things. Obviously, you're not rote learning everything. You might rote learn historical dates and French verbs and times tables, but you wouldn't rote learn Macbeth because that would be really weird. Um, obviously, you pick and choose what you need to rote learn according to what you're learning, right? Now, the fact that we are fighting all of those things that used to be normal that has completely undermined the normal basis for learning and for structure. The child knows less than the parent. The child knows less than the teacher. And the adult is meant to be an authority leading the way for the child. Once you've lost that, then you have chaos. And so that guy in Hamilton is just an example of the chaos that is everywhere. It's just that the parents have only reacted now at this last 11th hour when it's obvious that there is chaos because of this guy with his breasts. And everybody goes, ooh, look at that. Look, I mean, yes, I looked at that and thought, what on earth? Yes, I, but I've been saying this for decades, right? <laughs> I've been saying, this is where we're going to end up. This is going to be the final stage. We're now at the final stage. We're at the 11th hour. Can everybody look at that and then think, oh, but it's not just about stopping him. He isn't the problem. He's just a symptom of the problem. All these things that I've been talking about over the last hour, are the problem. Does that make sense? It absolutely does. And so I encourage everyone to listen to you, Catherine. And if not, well, detention. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks so much for the time today. It's been wonderful. Thank you for having me. All right. Full Comment is a post-media podcast. My name's Brian Lilly, your host. This episode was produced by Andre Pru with theme music by Bryce Hall. Kevin Libin is the executive producer. Again, remember, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Amazon, what have you. Help us out by giving us a rating or leaving a review and telling your friends about us. Thanks for listening. Until next time, I'm Brian Lilly. <laughs>